All right, and as we continue on this morning, if you've got your Bibles there, I invite you to turn to John chapter number 19. John's Gospel, chapter number 19. We're going to begin reading there in verse number 16. Um, and so I want you to kind of just to remember here that we're, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story. Uh, and so we are uh, going to go back and kind of review and talk about uh, some of those things. And I know we've got verse 17 up there. That's what I gave Brother Miss Ruby earlier this week. But I'm going to back up one more verse. And so if you don't have that up there handy with you in your Bible, uh, then uh, just uh, listen on and then pick up with me there as we read into verse number 17. But uh, John chapter number 19 and verse 16, Then deliver, delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, Therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But saith, they parted my raiment among them, for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. As we look here this morning, I want you to consider this thought. We're going to look at uh, what it means to be near the cross. And let's pray together. Fathers, we start this morning again. We thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would help us now to focus on, uh, Lord, uh, your sacrifice for our sin. And Lord, all that it means to us and the liberty and life that it gives us from that power of sin in our lives. And Lord, may we experience not just salvation from the penalty of our sin, but may we learn what it is truly to walk free from the bondage and the burden of that sin as we serve you through this life and as we come into your presence in life to come. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being willing to pay so great a price. Lord, may as we reflect on this now for this next few minutes here, may our hearts be open. Holy Spirit, may you bring conviction to us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone listening this morning, watching this morning that's never trusted you as our Savior, that they would find uh, the answers that they've been searching for in your word. Lord, make it so in Jesus' name and amen. You know, as we look at this week and we enter this week, uh, there's so many things that transpire. And certainly when we look and we visit the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and we observe the many things that he did, he constantly was showing forth his compassion to mankind, uh, showing forth his love 
extending his power, demonstrating his power and healing. Uh, and the only time that you ever really find him at odds uh, is when he's dealing with the religious crowd that is just invested so heavily and deeply in their tradition and their rituals and uh, the things that they've kept. Uh, Jesus is uh, on uh, this Sunday, if we were able to go back and to look uh, and be there as this Sunday unfolded, uh, we would experience what we refer to as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, he is coming in uh, and they are preparing. The city is, the, the streets are swelled with people as uh, the Passover is taking place and uh, they're there for the events and for uh, tabernacles and the other things that take place during that time. And, uh, you know, I, you stop and you reflect and you think they've watched Jesus now for three and a half years and they've, many of them have sat and listened to him preach or they've heard him in a synagogue or they uh, certainly, if they've not seen him in person, they have heard of him. He is somewhat at this point what we would refer to in our culture today as a household name. Uh, I doubt if there was anyone in this area from Galilee to Judea that had not at least heard uh, of Jesus and the things that he had done and uh, the way that he had impacted and touched lives. So much so that as he comes now, they are fully expecting him to use his power to set things in order but the problem is with their thinking is that's the order according to what they think it should be. They're looking from freedom. They're for freedom. They're looking for, uh, for the oppression that's on them to be removed. And they're uh, looking for that power that Jesus has to uh, be the king uh, is going to come to fruition in this week. And so they, uh, they greet him. As he comes into the city and they, uh, they line the street with the palm leaves and they worship him in essence and uh, hail him as their king as he enters in, fully expecting that the moment of Israel's liberation from Rome is at hand. The problem is, is that there's something greater that they need to be liberated from before they would be liberated from Rome. They need to be liberated from their sin. And the work that Jesus has come to do has a, a very distinct biblical order in which it must be done. One day Jesus will come into Jerusalem and he will ascend the throne and he will reign from, uh, from there and he will establish and set in order everything that is wrong and that is lacking. He will defeat the enemy and uh, and reign victorious and uh, all of that is yet to come. But, but he knew that before that happened, we need to be set free from the bondage of our sin. We need to be healed. We need to be set free spiritually before we are physically. We need our soul to be redeemed and our spirit to be made alive within us. And uh, as they experience that, they go through all of those emotions as Jesus rides in and they uh, 
hail their king, not realizing that he needed to be the king of their individual hearts before he became the king of the nation again. And, uh, and they, they go through all of this. And it doesn't take long after uh, just a few days of him being in the city that they begin to question, well, when's this going to happen? When is he going to make these things take place? And, uh, and the crowds and the whispers and uh, the expectation and then the disappointment uh, when it becomes apparent that uh, that he's not doing what they expect him to do. And how often do we get frustrated with God uh, when he doesn't act on our timetable, when he doesn't do things the way that we would like to see them unfold? And uh, and we wonder uh, how uh, God could fail us. And the, the reality is, is that God was not failing them and he never has failed them and he has never failed us, nor will he. He is simply enacting the, the plan that he had put in place. And so Jesus comes into the city and then he begins to minister. He begins to heal. He begins to preach. He begins to do what he's been doing, but he knows that this is the final week. Uh, at the end of this week, things will be forever changed. Sin will be defeated. And so he knows that he's got much to do. He understands that he will face much suffering. And he comes in not hiding from what needs to be done and not seeking a way to avoid what has to happen as he confronts the sin of the ages. He comes fully embracing what God has laid on his heart and what God has planned and what was necessary to reconcile mankind. So Jesus will come and then he will go up into an upper room and much of John's gospel takes place in that upper room, several chapters in fact. And as he there ministers to his disciples and he washes their feet and he tells of his coming death and he uh, labors with them and uh, shares a meal with them and then uh, is betrayed as Judas goes out and he sends him to do that which is necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that we might understand and see his deity at work in our lives. We see his disciples at times stand up and disbelief at what could be and yet not fully understanding what was to come. We see them at the end of uh, their Passover meal in that upper chamber leave and go to the Garden of Gethsemane where they can uh, pray and where Jesus can prepare himself emotionally and mentally and physically for what's coming later that night. And as they pray there and he it wants them to pray with him but they can't Stay awake. He prays and prays again and then he rises as Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss and he's taken into custody and everyone flees him. And you stop and think and reflect that just three or four days before they hailed him as their king and they were excited at his arrival. And as he's whisked away in the dark of night and put on trial, three separate occasions and uh, illegally tried and convicted. And then it dawned in the morning taken to Pilate and Pilate manipulated by the mob to keep the peace consents to allowing this innocent, guiltless savior to be crucified. 
And they take him out of the city. And where our text picked up, then delivered he them therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And we know from the other gospel accounts that uh, the, after, after uh, being smitten and being mocked and after being uh, crowned with a crown of thorns and being beaten to a bloody uh, pulp in his back with in all likelihood ribs exposed and, uh, and uh, great suffering. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament prophetic account tells us that, uh, that he was marred so much, his visage, his face, his appearance so much that you could not recognize even that he was a human being. Head swollen. And yet he marched through the streets with that cross until it was physically impossible for him to bear the load. They recruit someone to carry it for him. They make their way out the gate and up the mountain. And as they get there, he doesn't fight them. He doesn't call for assistance. He doesn't uh, pray for God to come to his aid. He realizes that this is the purpose for which he has come to earth. He knows that this is the culmination of everything that the Godhead had put together and planned from the foundations of creation and beyond before. And as he's laid there on that cross and slammed down and then the nails are taken and driven through his hands and through his feet. And as that cross is hoisted into the air and then dropped violently down into its hole. He there with two thieves is crucified. Not because he was guilty, but because we were guilty. DeWitt Talmadge wrote years and years ago this about the cross. He said, the cross. Poets have sung its praise. Sculptors have attempted to commemorate it in marble. Martyrs have clung to it in fire. And Christians, dying quietly in their beds, have leaned their heads against it. May all our souls embrace it with an ecstasy of affection. Lay hold of that cross, O dying sinner. Everything else will fail you. Without a strong grip of that, you perish. Put your hand on that, and you are safe, though the world swing from beneath your feet. Oh, that I might engrave on your souls ineffaceably the three crosses, and that if in your waking moments you will not heed, then that in your dream tonight you might see on the hill back of Jerusalem the three spectacles, the right-hand cross showing unbelief and dying without Christ, the left-hand cross showing what, is to be, what it is to be pardoned, while the central cross pours upon your soul the sunburst of heaven, as it says, By all these I would plead for thy heart. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Rivers cannot quench it. The floods cannot drown it. It is the cross that is the symbol of God's love. And while it is a symbol of incredible cruelty and hatred to the Roman. It is a place where they inflicted as much possible shame upon what was considered to be the most loathsome uh, of all of their uh, of all of their of all of humanity. 
When we look at that cross today, what we see is not the condemned that rightly received their just reward, but an innocent Savior that sacrificed himself on the cross in which he became our sin and the one that we nailed him to. It is that cross that has become the symbol of God's love. It is man's hope. It is, uh, and, and inter, it entertains certainty in our hearts. What I need every morning is to return to the cross. It is the cross that keeps our lives focused. And when we can no longer see the cross, we soon forget what is important in this life. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing songs about the cross. We hear sermons about the cross. Many will wear a cross around uh, their neck or hang pictures of a cross on their walls. And uh, but long has it been since, or how long has it been since any of us have stopped and just knelt at the foot of that old rugged cross and drew near to Jesus? I'm glad this morning that He's not on that cross. I'm glad the cross that we in the Christian church lift up does not have a depiction of a crucified Savior on it, for he is not dead but alive. He could not be contained. He could not be held down. He rose victorious, and we'll consider that in length next Sunday. But if we lived on Monday what we believed and say we believe and saying on Sunday, what a different place this world could be. My friends, this morning, my goal is to just remind us that in this life, no matter how busy, no matter how uncertain, no matter what else we do, the place that we as God's people need to be and need to keep ourselves is near that old cross. Ever reminded of the sacrifice that was made, ever remembering the price paid for our salvation to re realize uh, and reflect upon what God accomplished there and uh, what we can enjoy because he did. I want to consider four things about this this morning. The first is this, that uh, when I'm near the cross, I see God's love. You know, the last thing that, that people that lived in Jerusalem at that time and the people that were a part of the Roman Empire would imagine when they saw a cross was love. What they saw was shame. What they saw was guilt. What they saw uh, was vile. What they saw was, uh, was cruel and, uh, and hateful. Uh, it was something that uh, they loathed and that they could barely uh, bear to look at. And uh, they could not uh, abide by uh, what was there. But near that cross, what the Christian sees is God's love for us. He told us in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse uh, number three, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I'm thankful this morning that not only did Jesus leave heaven, walk the earth, demonstrate his power, prove himself to be God, uh, draw people to him, go to that cross, shed his blood, sacrifice his life. Not only did he do it, but he did it and he draws us to it. He draws us to the sacrifice that he made. He draws us and compels us to come 
to him and to what he is and to all that he accomplished near the cross that I can see the love of God on display. Uh, two things that I would say about this this morning. The first is this, that God's love led God's son to the cross. He did not go there by mistake. He did not go there by accident. He was not caught up in some cruel twist of fate. It was the plan in John's gospel chapter 15. In verse number 13, he said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And my friends, this morning, Jesus has laid down his life for us. He took upon himself our sin. And God, in his love for us, and unable to compromise his own character, looking and looking at all that God was and all that heaven is and realizing that, uh, that, there, uh, that no sin unpaid for could enter, that no imperfection could come without marring and ruining in heaven, God uh, having to satisfy justice, having to uh, satisfy his holiness and, uh, and maintain his righteousness, said that man in his current condition, his sinful condition cannot enter and he cannot even pay the debt. It's so great uh, that Jesus came and became our sin so that he paid the debt for us. My friends, there's no greater love than that, than a man that would look at his friends who were desperate for salvation, who were desperate to be helped, that were in a condition and a place uh, where they were no longer able to, to help themselves. Picture, if you will, uh, someone that's been overboard in a, uh, in a boat out at sea and uh, they've been there for some time and there's no life preserver and there's no help on the horizon and there's no strength left in their body. And as they are, uh, they are flailing in the last moments of their life, too weak, too hopeless, too helpless to do anything about it. So was man in his sin. And yet Jesus on that cross came and extended a hand, a hand that was not before seen, a hand that only by miracle could be explained, by the supernatural act and working of God could be explained. And when we see ourselves truly in our condition and the condition that we're truly in, there's no one that would deny that hand. When we see what he's done and we see how he's the price that he's paid and all I need do to be reminded of the price uh, that was paid is to look at the hands of the one whose hand is extended. Dr. Bob Jones Jr. wrote a poem years ago called Scarred. In it, it says the shame he suffered left its brand in gaping wound in either hand, since penalty he deigned to meet, has torn and scarred his blessed feet. The condemnation by him born marred his brow with print of thorn. Trespass and guilt for which he died have marked him with a ribbon side. Mine was the shame, the penalty. The sin was mine. It was for me, he felt, the nails, the thorns, the spear. For love of me, the scars appear in hands and feet and side and brow. Beholding them, I can but bow myself a living sacrifice to him who paid so dear a price. 
My friends, this morning it's important that we come near the cross and when we come to that cross, we see as the blood dripped down as his head uh, laid hung there as he gave up the ghost and paid the penalty for our sin, uh, not the not the cruelty and not the hatred and not uh, and not the the shame, but uh, see his uh, naked, crucified, scarred, marred body hanging there as a act as an act of love for you and for me. Paying that price, making that sacrifice, bringing to the altar of the cross the final Passover. See, Passover is taking place in Jerusalem at this time. And at the day that they made the sacrifice of atonement on the altar, where would have is the day that Jesus was offered an atonement for the sin of mankind once and for all. God's love led God's son to the cross. He did not send him there because he was cruel. He sent him there because he loved us. He sent him there because there was no other way to pay sin's debt, to pay the penalty that man had brought upon himself and the scourge of sin that man had brought upon his creation. God's love led God's son to that old rugged cross. The second thing I would say about seeing God's love here is that God's love paid the debt for every man. He did not pay the debt for some. He did not pay the debt for a few. Verse 30 says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up the ghost. My friends, this morning, God is not so cruel a God that he would create man and put us here in our sin and let us be in our sin and not make a way for us to be redeemed. And he's not so cruel as to, in his sovereignty, uh, dictate who would come to, who would come to him and who could not come to him. My Bible says clearly and many times that he died once for all. That whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And those that would believe that God determined who would and who wouldn't in his sovereignty have to write and read something into the Bible that it does not say. Because the Bible says that he died once for all. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the repentance to repentance by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God's love paid the debt for every man. God's love paid the debt for every soul. God's love paid the price for every sin. Whether it's committed long ago, committed today, or what could be committed many years from now, that has been paid. So, Pastor, if the debt's been paid, then why would some die and perish? Because not all will accept the gift. He paid the price, but he doesn't force us to accept the gift. But when we come near the cross and we see God's love, that love becomes an irresistible love. Who could turn away from such a demonstration of sacrifice and love? Who could turn away from such a sacrifice? And Fanny Crosby's hymn, Near the Cross, in verse number one, she wrote, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain free to all a healing stream flows 
from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Secondly, this morning, consider that not only do we see the love of God near the cross, but near the cross, I see God's lamb. It's important this morning that I see God's sacrificial lamb, seeing that that lamb was not a lamb that was just one that was picked at random. It is not a lamb uh, that was just uh, picked because it was unlovely. Uh, it wasn't one that was picked because it was lame or because it was marred. No, it was a perfect spotless lamb. It was a lamb without blemish, a lamb without sin, a lamb uh, without any uh, marking. He was a, first of all, a worthy lamb. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12 and 13, uh, we see the angels exalting this lamb in heaven when they say uh, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. He is a worthy lamb. He is not one who was just rounded up in a moment. He came in perfection. He came born of a virgin without a sinful nature from an earthly father. He came uh, on, and, and with uh, perfection and he lived in a perfect life and he lived a life that had not one sin, not uh, one mistake, not one thing that would disqualify him from being the lamb. My friends, this morning, the risen Savior that we serve is risen and was able to sacrifice because he was worthy. We are not worthy to pay our own sin debt. We cannot be good enough. And I realized this morning that most every religion in the world teaches, even if they believe in Jesus on some level, that you have to do yourself plus what Jesus did, or just you have to do enough or be good enough, and your good has to outweigh your bad. But none of that is possible because none of that makes us worthy. My friends, Jesus Christ is the only way that we have to God. He is the only way that we have for forgiveness of sins because he is the only one that was worthy to pay the price. But no matter how worthy he was, had he not been willing, we would have never been able to see his sacrifice come to fruition. I'm grateful this morning that not only was my Savior a worthy lamb, but he was a willing lamb. God did not have to force him, and we see him as he wrestled with the weight of what was about to come upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane after he, had, uh, after he knew that Judas was on his way to betray him, and they had moved from the upper room, and as he prayed and poured out his heart to God, he felt such immense pressure on his soul that even his sweat began to ooze blood, and uh, his heart and his spirit was crushed under the load and the weight of our sin. And as he moved forward, he said to God, if there is another way, uh, would you show me? But if not, nevertheless, thy will be done. He went to the cross willingly. 
He allowed them to mock him willingly. He remained silent when they falsely accused him willingly. He bore that crown of thorns in shame willingly. He, he carried that cross as far as his body could willingly. He laid himself there and allowed them to pierce his hands and his feet willingly. He struggled for breath as he completed and fulfilled the prophecy that they had set forth of the coming Messiah willingly. He gave up his ghost, his spirit, willingly, a willing lamb. My friends, that same Jesus comes to you this morning willingly. And if you're a person who's struggling in your sin that's never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can receive this gift that he's provided on Calvary's cross and you can experience the victory that he gains next Sunday on Easter Sunday. You can experience all that in your own personal life as a gift from God because there was a lamb who was worthy and there was a lamb who was willing. Are you willing? Am I willing? The life that he's given us to live, the salvation that he's provided us, the, uh, the, uh, the gospel that he's entrusted to our care, the, the life that he's compelled us to live, that he might live through us and show this love and compassion and sacrifice to a lost world that doesn't even know what they're searching for, to reveal God to his creation. Would we embrace our cross as he embraced his cross? Would we walk worthy of the vocation to which we've been called? And would we willingly accept the responsibility of being his representative to the world around us? Near the cross, I see God's love, but near the cross, I see his lamb. Fanny Crosby wrote in verse three of her great hymn, near the cross, O lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. And we in our time, we like to forget and block bad images from our mind. We like to block bad memories and tragic memories and events. We like to reflect on them as little as possible. But what she writes here is this horrendous scene on Calvary's cross needs to be something that stays ever before me. I don't ever want to lose the vision of Jesus and his sacrifice. I don't ever want to lose uh, the vision of the price that it cost him, of all that he did, and to realize and remember that he did it willingly. Thirdly, this morning I would say that near the cross I received eternal life. What a wonderful culmination of God's love and God's payment for sin whenever we find this place where we can come and where we can receive eternal life. You see, uh, Jesus was sacrificed, as I mentioned before, uh, as the atonement, as the uh, final atonement for man's sin. His blood had to be shed. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 tells us that on almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Listen, without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Christ, there could have been no forgiveness of sin. 
And at that cross, when I come and I realize that it's my sin that nailed him there, and I realize uh, that that blood, that eternal life is found in his blood as it was shed for us, I come, <coughs> come to the place where... I uh, understanding that Jesus is the son of God who has sacrificed himself as a payment for my sin. And as I look at him in that agony and in that love and in that sacrifice, how could I not look and be moved and my heart stirred and, uh, and feel the weight and the burden of the conviction of my sin and come to the foot of that cross and lay my sin down and look up to him and say, as that thief said, remember me whenever you come into your kingdom. He loves you this morning. He loves me this morning. And I'm just telling us this morning, reminding us this morning that eternal life is found in the Lamb's blood. Not only that, but Jesus' blood brings remission of sin. It's the blood of Christ that brings that forgiveness in Matthew chapter 26. In verse number 28, the Bible says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus, as he's about to make his way to the cross, it's shed for many. It's shed for all who would receive him. Fanny Crosby in the second verse of her hymn wrote, Near the cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. My friend, this morning, if you are a Christian who is walking with the Lord and loving him, may we be reminded of his great love and sacrifice. And may we feel the warmth of that morning star upon us. And if you're watching this morning, you're listening this morning, and you feel overwhelmed with the guilt and the, uh, and, the, and the condemnation of the sin in your life and the sin on this world, may I say to you this morning that if you would lay it here at the foot of his cross and ask him to forgive you for your sin and accept this gift of sacrifice that he has given you, that he will come into your heart and he will give you eternal life, life everlasting to be with him. And not only will he free you from the penalty of the sin, which he's already paid for on that cross, but he will give you the ability to be freed from the bondage and the power of that sin in your day-to-day -day life. That was accomplished on the cross. Near that cross, we come to him. And on that cross and near that cross, I've seen God's love and I've seen God's lamb and I see that I can there receive eternal life. And lastly, this morning, I would say that near the cross, I find liberty. We like liberty. We as Americans, above all, I think it's just in our nature as uh, the way that we've been brought up and what our country stands for to live in liberty, to be able to go forth. But may I remind us this morning that liberty in our Christian life is not a license to sin, but it is a responsibility to live for the glory of God. And Jesus made it possible when he paid that price on Calvary's cross and when he rose victorious from that grave to free us from the bonds of our sin. Listen, sin is a binding vice. If 
you don't believe that this morning, look at someone that you know or someone that you're familiar with, someone uh, that maybe is in your life or is close to you, someone that has been gripped by uh, anger and cannot uh, cannot even have a relationship with anyone in their life that they're close to because they cannot overcome that anger or they cannot overcome uh, that alcohol or they cannot overcome uh, that uh, that uh, drug addiction or they cannot overcome uh, that bitterness and they can't overcome hatred and all of the different things in our lives that come to fruition uh, that that dominate the way that we think and the way that we behave and the way that we uh, get along or can't get along. I saw uh, just in a social media post that even during this time uh, of social distancing uh, at a Walmart, I'm not even sure where it was, uh, that there was a group of people there literally having a fist fight over what one of the others had in their, in their shopping cart. That, my friends, is the bondage of sin. The lack of compassion, the lack of kindness, the selfishness, the uh, the, the the living only to uh, to the benefit of self. It's the opposite of what you see so many sacrifice themselves for. I saw this week in the news reports many who had uh, worked in the medical field, and you realize, and uh, I think I read a report that in New York City, 80 doctors have contracted the disease as they've treated patients and died. 80 have died. Forty nurses have died, but yet still others that have gotten it and have recovered are waiting and counting the days that they can go back to work and, uh, and sacrifice uh, for the benefit of those in their community. That's just a small picture of a life that is in the bondage of sin and a life that's been set at liberty from the effects of sin and the cruelty of sin and the hatred of sin and love has compelled them to go back into service. See, near the cross, I find liberty, which gives me freedom from the bonds of sin. Not only that, but it sets us free from the weight of sin. There's so many people that go through their life and they have, we've all made our mistakes. We've all hurt people in the past. We've all disappointed people that we love. We've all gone through things in our life that has, uh, that has kept us and that weigh upon us and that uh, if we're not careful, will defeat us. It's the weight of that sin, that burden that we carry where we just reflect and remember where we failed and how we've, uh, how we've uh, not been all that we should be. And my friends, if we'll just take that and bring it to the foot of the cross of Christ. He's made everything new. He's made us new creatures in him. He will transform us by his power as he lives through us. And it all starts at the cross. Free from the bonds of sin, free from the weight of sin, the guilt of sin. I need not feel guilty over the sin that Jesus has forgiven because he's set me free from it. May I say this morning that that leaves us free to serve the Savior. We are free to serve Him. Serve Him in prayer. Serve Him with compassion. Pastor, I'm locked up in my house. How can I serve Him? Well, you can pray. And you can reach out to someone that's struggling. You can stay in contact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can communicate through uh, all of the, uh, of the tools that we have with uh, the, the technology that we have today uh, to, to communicate the love that God has for his creation. 
to remind Christians that uh, maybe are a little downtrodden and downcast that they have much more to rejoice in in Jesus than we have to, to be discouraged about in current events. How do I do that, Pastor? I just don't know how to uh, to, uh, to to live that way, to to wear that, to be that free. I don't know how I can do it. Just stay close to that cross. Remember those crosses. Three crosses stood on Calvary's hill surrounded by a mob. Two crosses bore two dying thieves and one, the Lamb of God. Who justly suffered shame, the one cross bore God's sacrifice, the Lamb for sinners slain. One thief received the dying Lamb, repented of his sin, the other thief refused to hear and did not enter in. My friends, this morning, if you're watching... May I say to you that if you will accept him, if you will receive the gift that he provided for you and forgiveness for sin on this cross, then he'll come into your heart and he'll be your savior. He'll save your soul. He'll give you eternal life. Doesn't mean that your physical body won't suffer. It doesn't mean that we won't be afflicted with disease. It doesn't mean uh, that, we'll, that we'll never uh, have to have anything that uh, we would maybe have to go without. What it means is that we'll never walk through life alone. We have a Savior that can use everything in our life to bring others to Him, to share His glory, to share His cross. Fanny Crosby wrote finally in the fourth verse, near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting, ever till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river my friends the time for the Christian to rest is not in this life but rest for eternity is coming May we serve him. May we be reminded as we enter this week that as everything culminated, that the weight of our sin bore down upon him. He did not shirk from his call. He embraced it. He did not relinquish his responsibility. He lived it. Because he loved you. Because he lives for us. Because he sacrificed. Remember that he loved. Remember that he's worthy. Remember that his blood is shed for us. And because it is, we have life and we can have liberty. And we can live a life that makes an impact in the lives of others.